Welcome to another edition of Sean's Portrait. This is episode number 71, and we are coming at you live from the usual Los Angeles, California on Wednesday, May 16th, 2018. So, we're going to be covering the breaking news in sports. I'm going to be reporting it, as well as giving my take on um, on each topic or story, unless it's pretty controversial. Uh, I'm also going to be covering the results of the Los Angeles sports teams, the NHL playoffs, and the Rome Open Tennis Tournament. So the first thing that um, I'm going to be talking about has to do with NBA basketball and LeBron James specifically. Um, LeBron James tore his ice pack off his left knee and tossed it left-handed toward the garbage can, sitting 10 feet away in the visiting locker room at TD Garden. He swished it. He peeled the, cel- uh, the cellophane from his right knee, removed the ice pack, and took aim for the bottom of the same trash can, and he went two for two. Um, but anyway... Even in the aftermath of a bitter postseason defeat and staring at the most treacherous path to the NBA Finals he's faced in a decade, James was making all the plays late Tuesday night, and it still wasn't enough. Quote, we're going to use these days these days to really dive in on what needs to be done to help our ball club be successful, James said after his brilliant 42-point triple-double couldn't rescue the Cleveland Cavaliers who fell into a 0-2 hole in the Eastern Conference Finals with a 107-94 loss to the Celtics. He also said, we have a few days and we're going to see what we're made of on Saturday. James didn't repeat his line from Game 1 when he had 15 points, 9 assists, and 7 rebounds on Tuesday night and didn't say he had, quote, zero level of concern at this stage like he, done, like he did on Sunday. Perhaps that's because this is a stage that he hasn't st- stood on in years. It's just the first time It's the first time James has faced an 0-2 deficit in an Eastern Conference playoff series since the second round against the Boston Celtics in 2008. It was the 15th time he'd faced the possibility of going down 0-2 in the postseason series. He's now 8-7 and in those Game 2s. In the prior series in which he trailed 0-2, James is 2-4. and uh, That's a lot of history, a lot of mileage. And as he's done so many times, James came out of his corner a lot like Mike Tyson, I would say. Um, but it just wasn't enough. Um, Marcus Smart said, quote, You know, you've got to tip your hat to LeBron. He's been doing this for a long time, and if and if he's not the greatest to do it, he's one of them. We knew coming into this game that he was going to come out and give everything he had and have a game like this. The Cavs have three days to digest where they are in the series and as a franchise before suiting up for for uh, suiting up at home for Game Three on Saturday at eight thirty p.m. Eastern, five thirty Pacific. The way this is playing out, we'd be wise to sit back and enjoy what may be the last playoff series of LeBron's career that he'll have to exert this much effort and carry this much of a load. Is this the last time we'll see LeBron as a one-man show? I would say probably. As James is 33 years old and is hitting into his, heading into his 16th NBA season with free agency looming again, it's difficult to imagine a world in which he'd willingly choose to continue carrying a team that provides so little support to his Herculean efforts. Not to say he can't anymore because he clearly can, but why would he want to do that continuously? If James stays, virtually the only move the Cavs can make to dramatically improve the team around him would be trading um, the famed Brooklyn pick, which was determined in Tuesday's uh, lottery to be the number eight overall in the June 21st draft. The problem, of course, is they likely have to decide whether to do that without any commitment from James about his free agent plans. The bold move general manager Kobe Altman pulled off at the February trade deadline to make the team younger and more athletic haven't exactly backfired. There simply wasn't enough time for the coaching staff to integrate all the pieces into anything close to a cohesive unit. Thus, Rodney Hood, Jordan Clarkson, and Larry Nance Jr. in particular have been taking turns and sitting in the front, sitting in the front row while coach Tyron Lue has stuck, out, stuck with the guys he trusts. Like Jared Smith, for example, who was 0 for 7 from the floor on Tuesday and hasn't made a three-point basket in the whole series. Quote, uh, when LeBron leaves, one Eastern Conference executive told Bleacher Report, choosing an interesting qualifier, not if, but when. 
that trade will be devastating financially, a lot of money in George Hill and Clarkson, and you have to pay Nance. A better way to look at it is what kind of case can the Cavs make for LeBron to stay on a team without a consistent third scorer and oftentimes without a second one, not to mention the Cavs have already the league's highest payroll and the only real asset they have to acquire a third star is, is one they better not trade unless they're sure James is coming back. Quote, they're screwed, a prominent agent told BR on Tuesday night. The best the Cavs can hope for is that James can find it within himself to pull the team out of this hole, com- complete an eighth a consecutive trip to the finals, and then fall to... To find the uh, and then failed to find the free agent options as appealing as he may have hoped. Uh, quote, he's not going to the Lakers because they know they can get Kawhi next summer, the agent said. If I'm the Sixers, I have to think about what it means to bring to bring in LeBron and take the ball out of Ben Simmons' hands. Simmons is useless when he's not controlling the ball. Is LeBron going to give up the ball? Here's a better question. After the physical and mental toll of dragging this Cavs team through this pretty turbulent season all the way to the conference finals, will he be willing to consider living in a world where he can do less and win more? He wasn't ready for that on Tuesday, and he wasn't willing to go down doing anything but swinging. He had 21 points on 8 of 13 shooting, 4 of 7 from 3-point range, in a first-quarter barrage that the Cavs parlayed into only a 4-point lead. Then James absorbed an inadvertent blow to the chin from Jason Tatum's shoulder as Tatum tries to cut off James's driving lane on the baseline with 3.48 left in the second quarter and the Cavs leading by 11. James looked woozy and went, on and went to the locker room. Cleveland never, never built a bigger lead. Uh, quote, I felt like I needed to go back to the locker room, which I did to kind of recalibrate. James said it was a tough blow. Asked if uh, he was checked for a concussion. James said, quote, I was checked for multiple things and I passed them all. If only some of his teammates could pass a test in these conference finals. Through two games, James has scored more than a quarter of Cleveland's points, 57 of 177. James and Kevin Love have scored nearly 55% combined. Quote, we didn't respond, Kyle Corver said, and that's something we'll have to talk about amongst ourselves. Lazy defense, no communication, and a 36-22 advantage for Boston in the third quarter added him added up a wasted effort from LeBron uh, and pushed him and the franchise a step closer to Doomsday Part 2. In the interview room, um, James was asked about the challenge ahead and how he'll spend the next couple of days digesting all that will be demanded of him on Saturday and beyond. It's a massive uh, burden, but he wasn't showing it. Uh, quote, how will I digest it? He said, I'm going to go home tonight and see my three kids, see my family, recalibrate, see my mom. I think I'll be fine. I'm not going to l- lose sleep over it. When you go out and lay everything on the line at the end of the day, you can live with that. How much longer? Only he knows. So um, personally, I love uh, the way LeBron's playing. He's, he's doing the best he can with, you know, carrying the Cavs. Personally, without the, without LeBron, the Cavs are a bottom feeder team, not even sniffing the playoffs in the in a weak Eastern Conference. So... And honestly, in terms of uh, LeBron possibly leaving or most likely leaving the Cavs uh, in the summer, I mean, he doesn't owe Cleveland anything. Uh, his goal was to win an NBA championship with the Cavs, which he did in 2016. Um, and he beat a 73-win team doing that. So I don't think he owes the Cavs or the city of Cleveland anything. So I don't think they should be mad once he leaves. So anyway, uh, switching gears now to uh, just... I would say gymnastics or just breaking news. Attorney John Manley told Amanda Watts of CNN on Wednesday that Michigan State University will pay at least $500 million in settlements to the victims of former MSU physician Larry Nassar. Manley has represented multiple victims in cases against the university. Watts noted the settlement in principle was agreed upon by Michigan State's Board of Trustees in a Tuesday night conference call. The university will pay $425 million now and $75 million will be held in a trust fund. MSU is expected to settle with 332 victims. Nassar was convicted of sexually assaulting multiple girls and young women during his time as a doctor at Michigan State and for USA Gymnastics. 
He was sentenced to 60 years in prison on child pornography charges, 40 to 175 years in prison on sexual assault charges, and one and 40 to 125 years in prison on additional charges. Per David Jesse and uh, Gina Kaufman of the Detroit Free Press, MSU interim president John Engler said the school plans to use tuition and state aid to pay for the settlements. However, lawmakers are opposed to use of the latter. Um, Nassar graduated from the Michigan State University College of Osteopathic Medicine in 1993 before he became a physician at the school. In addition to those he sexually assaulted at Michigan State's high-profile gymnasts, Ali Raisman, Michaela Maroney, Gabby Douglas, Simone Biles, and Jordan Weiberg came forward as victims of Nassar's abuse during his time as USA Gymnastics' team physician. So, no comment on this from me. Just all, all I can say is this is, this is a, you know, a silver lining. So anyway... Switching gears now to NFL football, uh, also pretty controversial. New York Jets wide receiver Robbie Anderson was charged with resisting arrest with violence in May of 2017, but Florida prosecutors are set to drop the felony charge. His attorney, Ed O'Donnell, told NFL Network's Mike Garofalo. Anderson al- allegedly pushed a police officer and continued to fight with police following a dispute with, a sec- with security at an event. This will be the second time in two months Anderson has felony charges against him dropped. The 25-year-old was arrested in January on suspicion of reckless driving, evading police, and threatening a public servant, but the charges were downgraded to a misdemeanor in April. He still faces one count of reckless driving and could face a maximum sentence of 90 days in jail if convicted. Regardless of legal outcome, the NFL could suspend him under the league's personal contact policy. Anderson, who's an undrafted free agent out of Temple, has played every game in his two NFL seasons and was the Jets' leading receiver in 2017 with 941 receiving yards. He also finished the year with 63 catches and 7 touchdowns. Although one year remains on his contract, his off-field problems have created a cloudy future for the talented player. So no comment on this either for me. Uh, Switching gears to college basketball now. Former Louisville head coach Rick Pitino said representatives from Adidas met, met with him to discuss ways to keep 2018 recruit Romeo Langford from a youth basketball league sponsored by Nike and Under Armour. Quote, the way they phrased it, it was whoever shoe company was going to pay Langford dad's AAU program, the most money gets it, Patino said in an interview with Will Hobson of the Washington Post. Langford, who has 247 Sports' sixth-ranked recruit in the 2018 class, dropped Louisville from his list of potential schools last September after the school was implicated in the FBI's investigation into corruption in college basketball. On April 30th, Langford verbally committed to Indiana after considering Vanderbilt and Kansas. Indiana, Kansas, and Louisville all have apparel deals with Adidas. Hobson noted a few days after a January 2017 meeting with Patino that Adidas added a new AAU team, 22 Vision, in the Gauntlet Gold Division with Langford as a featured player. Quote, that's the way the world works. That's the way that world works, Patino said, which is completely legal, by the way. Hobson added that Tim Langford said in a May 3rd phone interview he did not make any, more as a, make any money as a team director of 22 Vision and his son did not pick up a college, ba- a college based on his sponsorship affiliation. So, uh, you know, I think personally, I, th- I think Patino is just kind of bitter, you know, with, uh, with all the stuff that, he, all the things that he did, you know, being pushed into the light and I think he just wants to get back at some people. But so that's all I think about that. So now, uh, switching gears to uh, back to the NBA basketball, uh, Cleveland Cavaliers guard J.R. Smith will not be disciplined by the NBA for his flagrant foul on Boston Celtics big man Al Horford during Game Two of their series, according to ESPN's Adrian Wojnarowski. Um, Smith pushed Horford in the back while he was going up for an easy dunk in in the waning minutes of the game. Horford went crashing to the floor, and Celtics guard Marcus Smart was among those who took issue with the play. 
so officials reviewed the play and gave Smith a flagrant one foul, which meant he was not ejected from the game. Basketball Hall of Famer and TNT NBA analyst Reggie Miller felt the referees made a mistake by not tossing Smith. He tweeted, quote, now hold up. DeMar DeRozan got tossed in a flagrant two versus Cleveland in semifinals. How is Jarrett Smith still in this game? Be consistent. Smith struggled mightily in game two as he missed all seven of his attempts from the field and finished the contest without a point. Even so, Smith is a key player for the Cavs due to his usual ability to knock down open threes created by LeBron James breaking down the defense. That didn't come to fruition in Game 2, but Cleveland is, is at its best when Alexa Smith, Kevin Love, and Kyle Korver are making their shots from long range. Because of that, the Cavs and Smith are fortunate that he was able to avoid a suspension. If Smith can get back, if Smith can get back on track for Game 3 and, and lend a helping hand to LeBron, then it will go a long way toward helping Cleveland come back from the 2-0 series deficit that they currently face. So... Personally, I think that Jared Smith should have been at least ejected for, for his play, if not suspended, because, I mean, pushing Al Horford with two hands like while he was going up for a dunk when the Celtics clearly won the game and were in control, um, you know, it's just, it's just not something that you should do. And it was obvious that he did it on purpose. So he should have at least been ejected, in my opinion. So now um, covering another um, story that has to do that has to do. Um, you know, with the Cavs and Celtics, at least one Cleveland Cavaliers player had a colorful assessment of the Kyrie Irving trade. According to the Athletics' Jason Lloyd, the Cavs player called Boston Celtics general manager Danny Ainge a, quote, effing thief this winter in reference to the deal. The Celtics acquired Irving in August in exchange for Isaiah Thomas, Jay Crowder, Ante Zizic, the Brooklyn Nets' first-round pick in 2018, and a 2020 second-rounder. With the benefit of hindsight, it's easy to criticize Cleveland's return from the Irving deal, but it's hard to imagine how it could have how they could have done much better at the time. Thomas had finished fifth in voting for the NBA Most Valuable Player Award in 2017 and had averaged 28.9 points and 5.9 assists per game. He was, however, recovering from a hip injury, which raised doubt at the time about whether he could continue to be an all-star point guard. Still, Crowder was seemingly the kind of perimeter defender the Cavs needed to counteract Golden State Warriors star Kevin Durant, while the Nets' pick could either be a trade asset or a way to set up a post-LeBron James future. Compare that to some of the other proposed uh, trades that were floating around last summer. ESPN's Brian Winhurst reported there could be there there were some who believed Phoenix Suns could um, uh, that the Phoenix Suns could put the best offer on the table if they were prepared to deal Eric Bledsoe and Josh Jackson. Bledsoe's poor play was a big reason the Milwaukee Bucks couldn't get out of the first round of the playoffs this year, while Jackson was a major disappointment in his rookie season. ESPN's Zach Lowe also reported the Bucks discussed a trade that would have seen Chris Middleton and Malcolm Brogdon go to Cleveland. In retrospect, that's probably a better deal than the Celtics' package. But remember, Middleton missed most of the 2016-17 season with a hamstring injury, and Brogdon had a solid, if unspectacular, rookie year. The worst-case scenario basically happened for Cleveland. Thomas was a shell of his former self, and Crowder wasn't a great fit. Most importantly, the Nets played well enough to finish with the 8th-worst record in the NBA uh, at the draft lottery Tuesday night in Chicago. Uh, the Cavs got the number eight selection, which isn't a great position. The Cavs took down the Warriors and won the championship in 2016, but the Irving trade left the team scrambling to re to kind of fix the roster. So, I mean, you know, at the time it seemed like a pretty fair trade in my opinion, but obviously now, I mean, Isaiah Thomas they traded Isaiah to the Lakers, they traded Crowder to the Utah Jazz, and I mean, personally, with the whole, with with Cleveland's whole situation, I think they would have fared better in the playoffs if they kept you know the veteran players on the team. Um, you know, because they had Dwayne Wade, Iman Shumpert, uh, Derrick Rose, um, they had and someone else. They had all those guys with LeBron. I think if they kept that band together, I think they would have done be doing better against the Celtics than they are with Rodney Hood, Jordan Clarkson, Larry Nance Jr., 
and George Hill personally. Uh, considering even those guys, even if those guys might not be that good defensively, they still um, they still have that veteran playoff experience and they know you know how to grind out games and and do the right things in pl- in cr- crucial situations. Whereas guys like Jordan Clarkson may not be you know so so experienced and polished in that sense. So anyway, switching gears, uh, we're not switching gears, another story that has to do with the NBA. The Orlando Magic may be setting their sights on Houston Cougars head coach Kelvin Sampson as Frank Vogel's replacement this summer. The New York Times' Mark Stein reported Wednesday, there's, quote, there's a growing belief the Magic have identified Sampson as their preferred target. The bulk of Sampson's coaching career has come at the college level with stops at Washington State, Oklahoma, Indiana, and most recently Houston. The 62-year-old helped the Cougars return for the, to the NCAA tournament in 2018 for the first time since 2010. Sampson also served as an assistant for the Milwaukee Bucks and Houston Rockets, spending three years with each team after the NCAA had placed a five-year show cause penalty on him for recruiting violations at Indiana. During his spell in the NBA, ESPN's Jeff Goodman noted Sampson became acquainted with two members of the Magic's current front office. Sampson would be a surprising choice for the Magic given lack of NBA head coaching experience coupled with his age, but Orlando might as well take a chance on somebody out of left field. The Magic are looking at what, what might be the most painstaking rebuild in the league. A series of failed roster moves have left Orlando with a few building blocks for the future, um, uh, with few building blocks for the future beyond Aaron Gordon, Jonathan Isaac, and Evan Fournier. Including Fournier on on that list is somewhat questionable since he's twenty five and and on an, uh, and he's an unrestricted free agent after the twenty 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 one season. Vogel was coming off five playoff appearances in six seasons with the Indiana Pacers before he took the Magic job, but Orlando won a total of fifty four games in two years under his watch. Attracting uh, a proven head coach might be difficult for the Magic, and even a great head coach uh, would likely struggle to get anything out of the team's current roster. Where If he was hired, uh, Samson could potentially re- represent a bridge to the next head coach when Orlando is closer to, cont- to contending for the playoffs. So, Orlando's in a bad uh, situation, definitely. Uh, so, just some... Geez. Okay, so, so uh, um, another NBA story. Former Oklahoma Sooners point guard Trey Young is scheduled to sit down with the New York Knicks on Friday for a formal interview at the NBA Combine in Chicago. According to the New York Daily News' Stefan Bondi, Young's family, quote, has made no secret that New York is a desirable destination for the 19-year-old, despite the intense scrutiny that the Big Apple invites. Quote, that's what Trey lives for. He lives for that type of stuff. Just think about it. He's probably the most talked about, most publicized kid in this draft, and he's been through it all. Trey's father, Ray, told Bondi. Trey's been scrutinized to the point that he has thick skin. None of that stuff is going to bother him. Barring a trade, the Knicks will be on the clock at number nine overall when the draft gets underway, June 21st at Barclays Center in Brooklyn, New York. However, it's unclear if Young, who averaged 27.4 points and 8.7 assists per game as a freshman at Oklahoma, will still be available at that point in the lottery. In his most recent mock draft, Bleacher Report's Jonathan Wasterman projected Young uh, uh, will go to the point guard needy Orlando Magic at number 6 overall, with former Michigan State swingman Miles Bridges penciled into the Knicks at number 9. Of course, Bridges doesn't uh, scream flash the way Young, a perimeter pull-up artist and three-point marksman does. With that said, Bridges arguably fills a more important need for the Knicks since they could use help on the wing and already have a pair of young point guards in Frank uh, Nilekina and Emmanuel Moutier. Plus, general manager Scott Perry uh, has gone on the record uh, stating that the Knicks won't jump for a guard if they don't see one in the draft pool who could make a major impact. Quote, it would only make sense if you feel that guard is far and away better than 
uh, what you have on the roster, he said per Bondi, and we haven't been able to make that determination yet. Young may prove to be that player in time, but for now it sounds like the Knicks have their eyes trained on more versatile wings who could provide a big boost on both ends of the floor. So personally, if I'm the Knicks, I don't want to take Trey Young. You have two young point guards on the roster already. It just doesn't make sense to do that. So now another NBA story. Uh, the Toronto Raptors reportedly never extended a contract offer to new Milwaukee Bucks head coach Mike Budenholzer. On Wednesday, Adrian Wojnarowski of ESPN reported Budenholzer agreed to a four-year contract uh, with the Bucks after meeting with Giannis Antetokounmpo and Chris Middleton. Wojnarowski noted the Raptors met with Budenholzer on Monday but didn't offer him a contract. Budenholzer mutually agreed to part ways with the Atlanta Hawks in April. The Raptors still have a coaching vacancy after they fired Dwayne Casey following a second-round playoff sweep at the hands of LeBron James and the Cleveland Cavaliers. Wojnarowski noted Budenholzer is, quote, considered one of the NBA's best tacticians. He served as an assistant coach for the San Antonio Spurs for 17 seasons before taking the Hawks job prior to the 2013-14 season and led Atlanta to the playoffs in each of his first four seasons at the helm. He guided the Hawks to the 2015 Eastern Conference Finals and was named the NBA's Coach of the Year that season. With Budenholzer having joined the Bucks, the Raptors' search for a new head coach continues. The, they were the number one seed in the Eastern Conference, but they lost to the Cavaliers in the playoffs for the, for the third straight year. This season seemed like the Raptors' best opportunity to reach the NBA Finals. They had home court advantage throughout the Eastern Conference playoffs. Kyrie Irving and Gordon Hayward were out for the Celtics. A youth figured to, tip, to trip up the Philadelphia 76ers, and the Cavaliers needed seven games to get past the Indiana Pacers in the first round. However, the second-round sweep at the hands of James and Co. left the franchise seeking answers and changing direction. That direction will not include Budenholzer, even though Toronto met with him before he agreed to join the Bucks. So, Budenholzer is a, a, a great head coach. So now, another NBA story. We have a lot, of, a lot of stuff covering today. The NBA officially tapped Houston Rockets guard James Harden, Cleveland Cavaliers forward LeBron James, and New Orleans Pelicans big man... Uh, Anthony Davis as the finalist for the 2017-18 Most Valuable Player Award on Wednesday evening. The league also announced finalists for five other regular season awards, Defensive Player of the Year, Rookie of the Year, Sticks Man of the Year, Coach of the Year, and Most Improved Player. The winners who are voted on by a panel of select media members will be revealed Monday, June 25th at the 2018 NBA Awards. Uh, here's a rundown of the players and coaches eligible to walk uh, away with hardware when the festivities get underway from the Barker Hangar in Santa Monica, California. So the uh, most valuable player, as I said, Anthony Davis, James Harden, LeBron James. Defensive player of the year nominees are Anthony Davis from the Pelicans, Joel Embiid from the Philadelphia 76ers, and, and Rudy Gobert from the Utah Jazz. Uh, rookie of the year, this is very interesting, Donovan Mitchell from the Utah Jazz, Ben Simmons from the Philadelphia 76ers, and Jason Tatum from the Boston Celtics. Sixth man of the year, Eric Gordon from the Houston Rockets, Fred Van Vliet from the Toronto Raptors, Lou Williams from the Los Angeles Clippers. Most Improved Player, Clint Capella from the Houston Rockets, Spencer Dinwiddie from the Brooklyn Nets, and Victor Oladipo from the Indiana Pacers. Uh, and Coach of the Year, Dwayne Casey, uh, formerly on the Toronto Raptors, Quinn Snyder on the Utah Jazz, and Brad Stevens of the Boston Celtics. So now I'm going to be uh, you know, saying who I think is the, uh, who I think should win each award. So I, starting with MVP, man, I always thought that it sh throughout the whole season I thought it should be Harden, but you can't it has to be LeBron this season I mean the most valuable player means how good or like looking at the team how they would be without that player so the Cavs without LeBron would be nobody they they would probably be one of the t bottom three teams in the Eastern Conference maybe bottom four at, at the highest so it has to be LeBron I mean 
without Anthony Davis, the Pelicans are not a good team. But if they do have DeMarcus Cousins, if he's not injured, they still might squeak into the playoffs. Uh, James Harden of the Houston Rockets, I mean, he was unbelievable this year, and he still is in the, doing great stuff in the playoffs. But, I mean, you know, the, the Rockets still have Chris Paul, Eric Gordon, Clint Capella, Trevor Ariza, Nene. They're still a, probably a playoff team in, in the loaded Western Conference without James Harden. So that's why I think LeBron should win. Uh, you know MVP now defensive player of the year I think it should be Anthony Davis Anthony Davis is just a phenom he he blocks he steals the ball he does everything on the defensive side of the ball rookie of the year oh man this is this is so tough I mean again this is very similar just like with the MVP I thought it should be Ben Simmons the whole year but now really looking at it I think it should be Donovan Mitchell Simply, simply because without nobody thought the Utah Jazz would make the playoffs this year after Gordon Hayward left for the Celtics, but Donovan Mitchell put the team on his back and he carried them to the playoffs. I mean, last year the Philadelphia 76ers barely won 25 games. That is true, but if they if you take Ben Simmons out of the equation this season, they still have Joel Embiid, Bellinelli, JJ Redick, Dario Saric, maybe Markel Fultz a little bit more, you know, to counteract the fact that Ben Simmons hypothetically isn't on the team. Um, so I just think that it's Mitchell because the Jazz without Mitchell are very close to, uh, you know, the, the Cavs without LeBron in terms of how good they are. Anyway, sixth man of the year, uh, Eric Gordon, or Fred Van Vliet, or Lou Williams. I'm going to have to go with Lou Williams on this one. I mean, Lou Williams, he... He's just, he's on he start he comes off the bench but he he was averaging like twenty five points per game or something I think he had almost a career year if not the best season of his career with the Clippers this year so I, I have to give it to Lou most improved player Clint Capella Spencer Dinwiddie or Victor Oladipo this is really tough but I have to go with Oladipo because again if you take out the way I look at all these is how good the team would be without this guy. If you take Capella out of the Rockets, they lack a big man, but they still have Chris Paul, James Harden, Ariza, um, Eric Gordon, and you could put Nene as the center, and that's still a very good playoff team. So, uh, I mean, with Capella, they're, they're, they're the number one seed in the in the West, but without him, they're still a very good playoff team. However, looking, taking a look at the Pacers, Pacers without Victor Oladipo probably don't make the playoffs in the East, most likely. So, Coach of the Year. Dwayne Casey, Quinn Snyder, Brad Stevens. Uh, as much as I hate to say it as a Lakers fan, I have to go with uh, Brad Stevens on this one from the Celtics, simply because of how he how he kept his whole team calm and collected. Uh, you know, with Kyrie Irving and Gordon Hayward, Gordon Hayward out the whole basically the whole season. Kyrie Irving not not there for since March. So how he kept them like calm and collected, and and now they have a two zero lead on the Cavs in the Eastern Conference Finals without their two best players. So. I, I, I just can't not give it to Steven, Brad Stevens here. Personally, I mean, that's just, those, those are just my choices. Um, so now, covering another NBA story. Um, so, Houston Rockets head coach Mike D'Antoni once again defended his team's style of play following a dominant 127-105 to win over the Golden State Warriors in Game 2 of the Western Conference Finals on Wednesday night. Quote, you're not going to come in and change the way you play, D'Antonio told reporters. That's the way we played all year. Sometimes we get bogged down, but usually because we can't get out in transition, can't get that 
can't get that force and then the ball seems like all we do is keep it but again we are who we are and we had to be who we are we, we just did it better longer guys believe we just did it better longer guys believe it and we're not going to change anything up that would be silly on my part to panic you don't do that uh we're very comfortable about who we are we can't we can beat anybody anywhere at any time playing the way we play uh some people might not like it sorry you know, it might not look good to some people, but it's effective, it's efficient. D'Antoni's response came two days after the Rockets caught flack for the way their offense performed in a 13-point Game 1 loss. While the Warriors made 283 passes in the series opener, according to second spectrum data, the Rockets were limited to 226. Plus, Houston pounded the air out of the ball Monday and finished with 1,105 dribbles compared to Golden State's 812. Uh, but in Game 2, the Rockets looked like a well-oiled machine while the Warriors sputtered. Specifically, the Rockets drilled 16 threes at a 38.1% clip, outscored the Warriors in the paint 56-50, and poured in 21 points at the free-throw line. In other words, 125 of Houston's 127 points came in the paint at the charity stripe or from beyond the arc. That's the Rockets' way. Now that the series is tied at one game apiece, the Rockets can tamp down concerns about them having to adjust their scheme as the Warriors prepare to host Games 3 and 4 at Oracle Arena in Oakland, California. So um, now covering what Steve Kerr, uh, the Warriors head coach, said after the game. So Golden State Warriors head coach Steve Kerr didn't uh, hide his feelings after the team fell to the Houston Rockets in Game 2, uh, saying, quote, I think a lot of these games when you get in the playoffs with teams that are very talented and really great teams, it often comes down to which one has the edge in, the edge in terms of the aggression and the desperation. They were desperate tonight and they played like it and we didn't and the results showed we got what we deserved, he, he added later. Uh, the 22-point loss was the fourth worst since Kurt took over as the Warriors' as head coach in 2014. According to ESPN's Stats and Info, and it wasn't hard to see why. Not only were the Rockets shooting better from three, uh, but they also had five players finish in double figures, and three, James Harden, Eric Gordon, and P.J. Tucker, um, registered at least 22 points. Conversely, Kevin Durant had 38 points and shot, of 13 of, and shot 13 of 22 from the floor. He was the lone Warriors player who logged at least 20 points. In fact, Durant outscored all other Warriors starters combined by 3 points. Stephen Curry, 16 points. Klay Thompson, 8 points. And Draymond Green, 6 points. And Andre Gudala, 5 points. All struggled to find a rhythm. If there's a silver lining for the defending champions, it's that they stole Game 1 on Houston's home floor and will head back to the Bay Area with a chance to rip off a pair of wins and take a commanding 3-1 series lead. Game 3 will tip off Sunday at, at 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 p.m. Pacific. So now covering another reaction from this game. Uh, Kevin Durant provided a dose of perspective in the aftermath of the game. After being asked if he was surprised that Houston outscored the defending champions by 17 points with the Hamptons 5 lineup, which consists of Durant, uh, Steph Curry, Clay Thompson, Iguodala, and Draymond on the floor, the 2017 Finals MVP kept a level ahead. He, quote, no S, hap no S happens, Durant told the Athletics' Tim Kawakami. We're not invincible. We're not the juggernauts of the NBA. We're a good team, but that's a great team on the other end as well. That's the beauty of the game, man. Some games you're not you're going to get knocked out. Some games you're going to get punched in the face. How you respond, that's the beauty of it. Um, you know, according to NBA.com's line of data, that group, uh, the the Warriors starting five, has been outscored by 14.9 points per 100 possessions and surrendered a defensive rating of 125.8 through 39 minutes together in the Western Conference Finals. Conversely, the Warriors' most dynamic five-man unit scorched the New Orleans Pelicans to the tune of a 40.9 net rating in 54 minutes during the second round. So, you know, that's that, that's Kevin Durant's reaction. And personally, you know, game two, I thought the better team won. So, you know. Uh, so now covering the 
uh, an MLB result, actually, that has to do with the Los Angeles Angels, so I'm not going to be covering the Angels later on in the show. Justin Verlander is on another level this season. That much was clear Wednesday night when the Houston Astros aced twirled the complete game, five-hit uh, gem in a 2-0 win over the Los Angeles Angels at Angel Stadium of Anaheim. Verlander is now 5-2 and two on the season, and he lowered his ERA to 1.05 following the dominant start. According to the Los Angeles Times' Bill uh, Shaking, that would be the lowest ERA in the past 100 years if it holds up through the end of the season. It's not going to hold up through, through the end of the season. I mean, that's just ridiculous to think that. I mean... Uh, the current record uh, over the past century belongs to Hall of Famer Bob Gibson, who posted a 1.12 ERA over 34 starts in 1968. Verlander also joined an exclusive club on Wednesday. With the Astros up a pair of runs in the bottom of the ninth inning, Verlander struck out Angels designated hitter Shohei Otani, swinging for his 2,500th career strikeout. Uh, Verlander is now one of two active pitchers, along with New York Yankees right-hander, uh, left-hander actually, CC Sabathia, who has logged at least 2,500 strikeouts. Through 10 starts this season, the 35-year-old has logged 84 strikeouts compared to only 14 walks. He'll enjoy next. He'll he'll enjoy the weekend off before returning to the bump next week as the Astros try to strengthen their grip on the top on the top spot in the American League West. So I mean, what's upsetting for me as a Dodger fan is that uh, we could have we as the Dodgers could have traded for uh, Verlander at last season's trade deadline instead of we traded for for you Darvish, who don't get me wrong was pretty good in the season and he was great in the NLDS versus. NLCS versus the Chicago Cubs, but in game two, in games two and seven of the World Series against the Astros, Darvish was just bad, and Verlander was amazing. So we could have traded for Verlander, and we could have had this guy right now. And considering how bad the Dodgers are doing right now, you know, that would be great to have Verlander on the team. So just wrong move that the Dodgers made, and now Darvish signed with the Chicago Cubs. So you know, can't even use him either. <laughs> so now. Um, you know, having to do with college sports here. The NCAA announced it has lifted its ban on holding championships in states that allow for legal single-game sports betting on Thursday. On Monday, the Supreme Court erased a federal law against sports betting and empowered states to legalize, legalize wagering on sports. The states will temporarily be allowed to hold championships until a more permanent decision in future meetings. NCAA President Mark Embert expressed in Thursday's re- release over how legalized sports... Um, actually... Excuse me, I should be talking about this on tomorrow's uh, episode, not today's. So, so uh, I covered, we, that's all we have for uh, this episode, or not this episode, excuse me, I don't know what's going on. For the breaking news in sports, um, now we're going to be covering the Los Angeles sports teams, starting with the Dodgers. Uh, the Dodgers lost again today, that's six straight losses to terrible teams, and the Dodgers lost to the Miami Marlins 6-5. And the look to avoid the sweep against the Marlins tomorrow at 9, 10 a.m. Pacific, 12, 10 p.m. Eastern on Sportsnet LA. And um, so now, um, you know, as I said, so now the, the Dodgers fall to a bad record. What can I say? So now the Angels, covering the Angels, they uh, lost 2-0 to the Astros. So they they still won, won the series uh, 2-1. And uh, the Angels' next game is uh, tomorrow at 7.07 p.m. Pacific, 10.07 p.m. Eastern against the Tampa Bay Rays in Anaheim, California. Taking a look at the MLB standings, the Dodgers are 16-26. and 26. Boy, the Dodgers are last in the National League West behind, or not behind, they're tied with the San Diego Padres. The Dodgers are 1-9 in their last 10 games. Boy, is that something. 
So the Dodgers are now um, tied with the Padres for last place. Five games behind the San Francisco Giants for um, third place, who are also 3-7 and seven in their last 10. Um, six and a half games behind the uh, Rockies for second place and eight and a half games behind the Diamondbacks for first place. So as I said, the Dodgers are 1-9 in their last 10. The, Padre, the Giants and Diamondbacks are 3-7 and seven in their last 10. And the Rockies and Padres are 5-5 five and five in their last 10. So, I mean, the Dodgers really need, need to start taking advantage of the fact that the Diamondbacks and Rockies are struggling. Excuse me, the Diamondbacks and Giants are struggling and that the Rockies and Padres are pretty average right now. So now, the uh, covering the AL East, the Angels are now two games behind the Houston Astros for first place. And now only half a game ahead of the Seattle Mariners for second place. And also only four games ahead of the Oakland Athletics for second place as well. So now in the AL East, the um, the Athletics and Rangers are four and six in their last ten. The Angels and Mariners are both five and five in their last ten, and the Houston Astros are seven and three in their last ten. Hence the two game advantage above the Angels. So now covering the LA Galaxy, the LA Galaxy's next game is um, Monday, May twenty first at twelve p.m. Pacific, three p.m. Eastern against the Montreal Impact, and now the Los Angeles Football Club, the LAFC. Their next game is Saturday, May 19th at 12 p.m. Pacific, 3 p.m. Eastern against the Portland Timbers. So that's all we have for the uh, results of the Los Angeles sports teams. Now covering the NHL playoffs, there was one game today. The Vegas Golden Knights against the Winnipeg Jets. Game 3 of that series in Vegas. Vegas took that game 4-2. to two. So Vegas now leads that series 2-1. to one, And uh, Vegas will look to take a commanding 3-1 series lead in Game 4. And uh, tomorrow, the Tampa Bay Lightning and Washington Capitals play in Game 4 of their series at 5 p.m. Pacific, 8 p.m. Eastern. Washington leads that series 2-1, to one, and Washington will be looking to take a 3-1 series lead in Washington, while Tampa Bay will look to tie it at 2. It would be interesting to see if Tampa, Bay, if Tampa Bay wins this game. It would be funny because the Capitals, Washington, they won both games in Tampa Bay, and if Tampa Bay wins um, tomorrow, they'll win. Uh, they would win both games in Washington and the series would be tied. So no home wins for anyone. That would be pretty funny. So that's all we have for the uh, results of the NHL playoffs. Now covering finally, but by finally, I mean to finish the episode, um, the Rome Open or the Italian Open, I should say, tennis tournament. Starting with women's singles in a big upset, uh, unseated uh, Australian player Daria Gavrilova from Australia beat the three-seed Gabriel Muguruza from Spain, 5-7-6-2-7-6. In an expected result, the two-seed Caroline Wozniacki from Denmark beat Van Oitwansk from Belgium, 6-1-6-4. Maria Sharapova from Russia beat Sibylkova from Slovakia, 3-6-6-4-6-2. Uh, narrowly avoiding an upset, the eight-seed from the USA, Venus Williams, beat Elena Visnina from Russia, 6-2-4-6-7-5. In a close match, the 15-seed Sevastova from Latvia beat Krunic from Serbia, 6-4-6-4. Narrowly avoiding an upset, the 11 seed from Germany, Angelique Kerber, beat Begu from Romania, 3 6 7 5 7 5. In an interesting match, Kanta from Britain beat uh, Xie from Chinese Taipei, 6 0 6 4. In an upset, Kantavate from Ethiopia uh, beat, uh, excuse me, from Estonia, beat Kuznetsova from Russia, 7 5 7 5. In an incredibly close match, the 13 seed from the USA, Madison Keys, um, beat. Um, uh, Vekic from Croatia, 7-6-7-6. In a big upset, Sakari from uh, Uruguay beat the 6-seed Carolina Pliskova from Czech Republic, 3-6-6-3-7-5. The 14-seed from Russia, Daria Kasatkina beat unseeded American player Collins, 6-2-6-3. Six, six, 
The seven seed from France, Caroline Garcia, beat Babos from Hungary, 6364, narrowly avoiding the upset. The nine seed from the USA, Sloan Stevens, beat uh, Kanepi from Estonia, 6-0-5-7-6-4. And in Abomination, the one seed from Romania, Simona Halep, destroyed unseeded Japanese player Naomi Osaka, 6-1-6-0. So now covering men's singles. Uh, the two seed from Germany, Alexander Zverev, beat Berrettini from Italy, 7-5-6-2. In an upset, unseeded um, British player Kyle Edmund beat the 16th seed from France, Lucas Puy, 6-2-7-6. In a close match, Denis Shapovalov from Canada beat Roberto Haas from, from uh, Holland, 7-6-6-7-6-3. In a big upset, Benoit Paire from uh, France took care of the 14th seed, Diego Schwarzman from Argentina, 2-6-6-4-6-2. Uh, the five seed from Argentina, Juan Martín Del Potro, beat Tistipas from Uruguay, 7-5-6-3. In a big upset, Beden was up 6-4 against the seven seed, Kevin Anderson, when Anderson retired, so Beden advanced. The 11 seed from uh, Serbia, Novak Djokovic, beat Basilashvili from Georgia, 6-4-6-2. The number one seed in the tournament, Rafael Nadal, destroyed Jumhur from Bosnia, 6-1-6-0. The 10 seed from Spain, Pablo Carreño Busta, narrowly avoided an upset against unseeded American uh, John, Steve Johnson, 6-4-2-6-6-4. In a big upset, Kane Nishikori from Japan upset the 3 seed from Bulgaria, Grigor Dimitrov, 6-7-7-5-6-4. In a big upset, unseeded Italian player, hometown hero Fabio Fognini beat the 6-seeded uh, Dominic Thiem from Austria, 6-4-1-6-6-3. And in a big upset, in a very, very, very close match, Ramos Vignolos from Spain beat the 8th seed uh, from, from the USA, John Isner, 6-7-7-6-7-6. It doesn't get closer than that. Now covering um, women's doubles. Uh, the two seeds, Klavzhakova uh, and Stritsova from Czech Republic, beat uh, Yang from China and Chan from Chinese Taipei, 6-2-6-4. Six, six, uh, unseeded Spanish players, Pera Santonja and Medina Gargis beat Klepac from Slovenia and Martina Sanchez from Spain, 7-6-6-4. And uh, Kichonok from Ukraine and Rodionova from Australia beat uh, Tsurenko from Ukraine and Adam Zak and Kichonik from... Uh, excuse me, excuse me. So Kichonik from Ukraine and Rodionova from uh, Australia beat uh, the other Kichonik from Ukraine and Adam Zak from Australia, 3-6-7-5-13-11. Um, Sorry, I got a bit confused on that one. And finally, men's doubles. Uh, Jason Sousa from Portugal and Pablo Busta from Spain beat Sam Query from the USA and Ram from the USA, 3-6-6-3-10-5. Uh, in an expected result, Jamie Murray from Britain and Soros from Brazil, the five seeds, beat Clausen from South Africa and Venus from Australia, 6-3-6-4. Um... John Isner from the USA and Jack Sock from the USA uh, beat Peja from Austria and Mektic from Croatia, 7-6-6-4. And finally, Pablo Cuevas from Uruguay and Granolers from Spain beat uh, Vavasori and Oklepa from Italy, 6-4-6-4. So that's all we have for this loaded episode of Sean's Sports Show. Thank you guys for listening. I appreciate all the support. All the other episodes of Sean's Sports Show are available on SoundCloud, Stitcher, iTunes, TuneIn, and Google Play. So check those out, and I'll see you guys on episode number 72, which will be uh, recorded and released no later than 10.30 p.m. Pacific, uh, 1.30 a.m. Eastern on uh, Thursday, May 17th, 2018. So again, thank you for listening, and I'll see you guys on the next one. We out.